So today is our, uh, and I guess I should start out by saying for those of you that are just joining us for the first time today, I know there's a couple of you, uh, we've been taking a long expository look through the book of Psalms. Uh, we started in Psalm 1 and we're, we're up today to Psalm 44, so that's where you kind of kind of caught us uh, in this uh, third Sunday in the season of Eastertide. Uh, and it's, it's really a season that builds on the good news that we celebrated two weeks ago, that our Lord Jesus Christ, who was once dead, is now alive. And, and as we talked about uh, last week about how the joy and wonder that the resurrection brings to this world and to the universal church and to this local congregation and into our individual lives as we see and experience how our Lord Jesus Christ, out of sheer love, stepped into this dark world, placing himself into the hands of sinful men uh, and subjecting himself to the horrors and humiliation of the cross, whereby his one sacrifice uh, has now turned the tables on sin and death. And all of that accomplished by the sovereign plan and predetermined will of God the Father. And that's a topic that we're going to be exploring today through the vehicle of uh, Psalm 44, the topic uh, of God's sovereignty, and particularly its place in the midst of suffering uh, and, and the ways in which our God works out the wounds that this world inflicts on us to our ultimate good and to his eternal glory. So uh, I hope you have your Bible with you. Uh, again, I always encourage you to read this in your own Bible. It's important that it's in mine, but it's more important that it's in yours. And so we're going to be reading Psalm 44, which is superscribed to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. And the psalmist writes, O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by our own sword did we win the land, nor did our own arm save us, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordained salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. And then he writes, Selah. And you remember that means stop and think about that. Stop and think about what God has done for us forever. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with your armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughing stock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forsaken you. We have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals. 
and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hand to foreign gods, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping? Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Arouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Amen. So, you know, as a... uh, as a reformed congregational pastor, one of the, the truths of the Bible that I, I embrace with a mixture of joy and trembling is the truth of God's supremacy in all things. And it's a truth that permeates the scriptures from the first page of Genesis through the last amen of Revelation. But, you know, as soon as I say that to someone outside the faith, and sometimes even to folks inside the faith, if we're all completely honest, comes a flood of questions. Questions of why. Uh, Why, if God is sovereign and God is good and God is all-powerful, is the world the way it is? Uh, Why do we live in a world of unending calamities? A world where natural disasters are relentless in their devastation. A world uh, where wars and the threats of terrorism abound. A world where statistics say that unbelievably 20 million adults and children are bought and sold as slaves for forced labor uh, every year at best and other unspeakable horrors at worst. Unless we respond too naively to those calamities as though there's something unusual and uh, unlikely to touch our own individual lives personally, let me remind you of one that's uh, really all too common. Uh, And that is because the most obvious and most overwhelming fact of our existence is that 50 million people die every year. 50 million. That's 6,000 every hour and over 100 every minute. Uh, And most of them do not die in ripe old age by sleeping uh, peacefully away into happy eternity. And you and I will be among those dead sooner than we think. That's just a reality. But it's in this tension in which we hold the hope of our Christian faith against the harshness of the world we see around us. Because when we say that God is supreme in all things, we don't mean that God is supreme in all things except in calamities. Or that God is supreme in all things except in war. Or God is supreme in all things except when ISIS blows up a building or a train. We don't mean that God is supreme in all things except when cancer takes the life of a young mother or when a child is born with profound disabilities, and on uh, and on until we might want to throw up our hands and say to God in the words of Psalm 44, why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our bellies cling to the ground. And yet even in the light of all of that, the Bible is overwhelmingly clear that our God governs everything in the universe from the smallest little bird to the largest storm. In fact, our Lord Jesus says in Matthew 10, 20, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. 
Lamentations 3.37 says, Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? The prophet Amos declared, Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? And all of these verses proclaiming that whether we understand it or not, or whether we like it or not, or whether we agree with it or not, that what God permits, He permits purposefully and wisely, including in our text today, uh, for in Psalm 44, when the psalmist writes, our hearts, our hearts haven't turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet for your sake, we're killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And what the psalmist is doing here is he's, he's pouring out his heart for himself and for his family and community. And he's saying, Lord, we've been trying to live our lives for you. And we're seeking your face. But bad stuff is still coming into our lives, and we don't understand why. We don't know why. And what he's really asking God, in effect, is, Lord, is there any point to all of this pain? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. But now, before I go any further, please do not misunderstand me. This is not a one-size-fits-all answer, okay? Please do not, not, not go home today and say, Pastor Joe told me to enjoy my pain, okay? (laughs) But the truth is there is an answer and a purpose to some dimensions of the pain uh, that we experience as human beings. And as enticing as it is to think about living in a world completely free from pain, there's some drawbacks. And I'm going to share a quick story with you. I didn't tell my mother-in-law I was going to tell this story, but she'll know it. Uh, I think most of you know that... uh, my wife, Vicki, was born with a physical disability with, with spina bifida. Uh, what you may not know is that because of the sever in her spine, in the lower part of her uh, spinal cord, she can't feel anything from the tips of her toes to just above her ankle. Right? That, that means she can't feel any pain in her feet. Uh, and although I'm sure there are days when maybe you wish your feet would permanently stop hurting, because uh, I do, it's a lot more problematic than it may sound. And I'll tell you why. When she was a little girl, uh, she went swimming with some friends in a concrete swimming pool. And and she swam to the the bottom of the pool and pushed off with her feet. And it was fun. So she swam to the bottom of the pool and pushed off with her feet again. uh, And then over and over again. Until one of her girlfriends noticed the cloud of blood that began staining the water red. Because you see, she didn't realize that she had cut her feet over and over and over again every time she had pushed off of the bottom of the rough surface of the pool and she couldn't feel the pain of going back over and over again to something that she thought she was enjoying but that was really hurting her worse and worse every time until the circumstances around her got her attention and left her with a vital lesson right and apparently that's the same situation the Israelites were in in Psalm 44 same thing that they were facing. Now, we can't be 100% sure of the exact historical context that prompted its writing, but I think in God's sovereignty, even that is deliberate because it leaves open the possibility for believers in every time and in every place and in every situation to identify with it because no matter who we are or where we are, even when we are in Christ, things do and will go wrong in our lives. Right? Do you have any witnesses out there? Yeah. Bad things happen to us. Just having Jesus as our shepherd doesn't grant us immunity from it. 
Because in God's providence, the pains and pressures of this life are designed for a higher purpose. Uh, the Apostle Paul certainly knew that to be true. That's why he wrote in Romans 8.28, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Now, did you notice he didn't say that all things are good? He didn't say all things are good. He said, but that all things work together for good to we who love God and are called according to his purpose. So if that's you right now, if that's you today, if you're loving and following the Lord, but you still find yourself walking through the valley of shadows, the message of today's song is to look at our lives and instead of saying why, look up to God and say what? Instead of why, say what? Say, Lord, what is it that you're trying to teach me and to show me even when it hurts? Especially when it hurts. Remember how the psalmist put it today? He said, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, the psalmist is really upset. He, he pleads with God and he's just crying out for pity and for mercy because he doesn't feel like God is being fair. And, and he's saying that we have all of these great promises of his love and of his power but in the situation i'm in i'm not feeling like his actions match up with his words and he wants to know where is god when i need him and why do i feel like i pleaded with god and it seems to make no difference and that it doesn't seem that god is interested in my problems have you ever felt like that even once i confess i have on occasion and that is really the note that Psalm 44 ends on, right? With the psalmist saying to God in desperation, Rise up, come to our help, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. And that's where the psalm ends. That's the final refrain of the song. There's no, no tidy wrap-up at the end like we see on television or you know, in the movies where we watch the main characters go through the darkness of conflict and defeat and then come out on the other side to a, a storybook ending before the credit rolls. I know that this psalm is more like watching that same movie, but the theater burns down before the last 15 minutes can play, right? There's just this abrupt end, and it's there deliberately. There's no answer in this psalm. So we have to look outside of it, and the only safe and reliable place to look at Scripture to interpret is through other Scripture, right? So I don't know about you, but I, I don't want just somebody else's opinion of my issues. Uh, I don't uh, want to leave my problems solely in the hands of some other human being who undoubtedly has just as many problems of their own. Uh, and I definitely don't want the Disney film industry advice of follow your heart, right? It's what all those movies tell you, follow your heart. But tons and tons of people have followed their heads and their hearts, as one author said, and grasp hold of the finger of emotion, thinking they have a hold of the hand of truth, until it leads them right down dead-end streets and into ruined lives. In fact, even the Bible tells us the heart is desperately wicked above all things and unknowable even to ourselves. So, no, the answer to the locked 
door of the mysteries of the word and of this world, at least for me, has to be something more sure than that. And so, praise God, he's given us a key. The key, actually, to unlock the lament of this psalm uh, and the meaning behind the vagaries of life. And that's going to take us right back to the book of Romans and the inspired writings of the Apostle Paul, uh, who thankfully had also read Psalm 44 and quotes from it directly in his moving letter to the church in Rome. And I'm just going to share a quick little portion of that with you. He's writing to the Romans, What then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes and who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, and this is where he's going to reach back and pull this line out of out of Psalm 44, as it is written in Psalm 44, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter, but know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul wrote that because he wanted the Christians in Rome and by extension us to have the same perspective on the circumstances of our daily lives. That whether or not they or we experience hard times or good times, it doesn't change whether or not God loves us. And so he reaches back and pulls that line from Psalm 44, a line expressing how God's people of old had endured suffering and grief in their journey out of bondage and into the promised land, and yet they were still living under his divine protection. And by quoting Psalm 44 here, Paul is showing us uh, that God's people have faced persecution and hardship for generations, and yet the struggles of this life are not a sign that God has abandoned us. In fact, it is exactly the opposite. They are instead the hardships that he works through to soften us and to sanctify us. Unless you think that was only Paul's opinion on our ups and downs, the Apostle Peter wrote along exactly the same lines. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. See, that's the point. That's, that's the message that despite what the purveyors of the health and wealth gospel may tell you, there can be a point and a purpose to our trials, a point that actually draws us closer to Christ, to the Christ who loves us and disciplines us, and seeks to mold us and shape us by the, the friction of our afflictions into his image and through them to sand off all of those rough edges and imperfections that we don't like to admit we have or worse yet, 
that we may actually want to hold on to. And he doesn't call us to do it alone. Because, brothers and sisters, you and I serve a God who knows your heart and who feels your pain. A God who didn't just sit idly by and watch the world go to hell, but did something about it. In fact, he stepped right in to the midst of all the hurt and the pain in the person of his very own son, Jesus Christ, even though it cost him his life. And so if you claim today by faith that his death on the cross was for you and was in your place, you can look forward with hope too. No matter what comes your way, as he invites you and I to meet him today at this table of mercy prepared from before the foundation of the world and open today to all that believe. Would you pray with me?